0: Hey, thanks for joining us here on Life Church, where we are one church meeting in multiple locations and reaching around the world thanks to what God is doing at church online. If you ever have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to life.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your weekend everywhere you go with the Life Church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps from. With that said, let's go to this week's message. great to have all of you guys with us. Who's ready to hear God's word today? All of our life churches. We are in part three of a message series called When the Devil Knocks. When the devil knocks. You may say, why would we talk about the devil? I wanted to say, this is not in any way a devil glorifying message series. What we have to understand is that we're actually in a very real daily spiritual battle. In other words, what you see with your eyes is not all there is. There's a physical world and a very real spiritual world. And we looked at a verse a couple of weeks ago, the apostle Paul said that our battle is not against people, it's not against flesh and blood, but we're in a spiritual battle against forces of darkness, we have a very real enemy. He's called Satan, he's called Lucifer, he's called the prince of darkness, the evil one, the father of lies, the destroyer, the accuser, and many other names. His mission is to come against the people of God. And that's why Peter says this, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, stay alert. In other words, always be on your guard. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I wanna point out that the devil is compared to an animal from the cat family. I'm just saying, from the cat family. Not the dog family, the evil cat. Family. Uh, According to Jesus, he came on a mission. Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. Jesus also said of the evil one that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. What Satan wants to do is he wants to steal your joy. He, He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy your contentment. He will attack every single day. He's gonna attack your finances. He'll attack your friendships. He'll attack your, your body. He'll attack your marriage. He'll attack your spiritual life. He's on the attack trying to rob people of the blessings that God wants to bring into their lives. And so in this message series, we've been looking at some metaphors or some images of Satan and trying to understand his strategy so we can better defeat his plans against us. Week number one, we looked at the deceiver. Who is Satan? He is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Last week we looked at the accuser, who is Satan? He is the accuser who targets your heart with accusations. This week is one that's very, very important and maybe even a little more difficult or challenging to hear. But Satan is also the destroyer who attacks or targets your will with pride. He is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. I used to think that the devil would attack you when you're down, when you're weak, and when you're vulnerable, and he will. But I've also learned that he loves to attack you when you're strong and when things are going well. Some of you right now, you may be in a better season in life and you think, well, things are good, so I don't have to worry that much. That may be the time when you're most vulnerable because when you're least aware, that's when you're most vulnerable. When you're least on alert, realizing that your enemy may be attacking, that he often does come in during that time. Not only will he kick you when you're down, but he'll attack you when things are going well. In fact, what I wanna do today is show you an Old Testament story that many of you will not be familiar with. It's actually about a time when Satan poised a very strategic attack against King David, and he didn't attack David when he was discouraged, but instead he attacked at the height of David's power and popularity. If you don't know about the rise of David's story, he was just an ordinary little shepherd boy tending sheep, Whenever his people were at battle against uh, another army. And there's a big giant, and David kind of came up there and realized, why are you guys afraid of this guy? God's on our side. I'll take this guy on. And this little boy ended up taking down the the enemy force, Goliath, and suddenly overnight he's kind of thrust into, you know, he's a social media bomb. You know, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? Then he's anointed to be the king of Israel, and he rises to the height of power. He is a war hero. When David goes out with his mighty men, they are coming home with victory. He was so popular, imagine this, that the women would write songs about David and they would gather in the streets to sing these songs. Now, my wife Amy has yet to write a song about my power, strength, and glory, but I can kind of just feel, who knows, I've been preaching all weekend. When I drive home today, I'm pulling in the garage and my little Honda Pilot. She may just be waiting there with song in hand, declaring her love, her honor, her respect for my godliness, my power, my strength, and anything else that turns her on, she can sing about. (laughs) Do you think it'll happen? Probably not, but you can dream. You can dream. So they're singing about this guy. I mean, he's, he's at the height of his game, and he stumbles, not when he was weak or vulnerable, but he stumbles because of his pride. In fact, if I kind of interviewed people on the street and said, what do you think was David's greatest sin? A lot of people would say, well, his greatest sin was adultery with Bathsheba because that's what he's known by. Uh, Maybe someone who's thinking a little deeper might say, well, perhaps murdering her husband Uriah might have been even a bigger sin. You know, not only did he commit adultery, but then he, he had her husband sent to the front lines. Perhaps murder was the bigger sin. I would argue, if we took a step back, that we could actually find perhaps a root sin that led to adultery and eventually led to uh, murder. In fact, probably his biggest struggle, along with so many of us, probably including me, battle with the root sin of pride. Think about this, because of David's adultery, four people indirectly died. If you know the story, the little baby died, uh, Amnon died, Absalom died, and of course he had Uriah killed. Four people died. But because of David's sin of pride, and we're gonna look at this story, because of a sin of pride, 70,000 people were actually killed because of the filthy, horrendous sin of pride. And that's where our enemy often attacks us, not just where we're weak, but where we're proud. In fact, I wanna show you the story in 1 Chronicles 21 verse one, that tells us exactly what Satan did, how he attacked. Uh, Scripture says this, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. What did he do? Satan came at David when he was confident, when he was strong, when he was victorious, and incited David to take a census of Israel. David's at the top of his game. David's favorite song on Spotify is, we are the champions, my friends. We'll keep on fighting till the end. He's winning his battles, and Satan comes up and says, you're pretty powerful, aren't you, David? You're pretty amazing. You've conquered kingdoms, and now you have all these people under your command. David, you should total them up and see just how strong just how powerful you are. We can't just guess about your domination and your strength. David, you should take a census to count up those you rule in your kingdom, David, because you are mighty, strong, and worthy of honor. Just how worthy are you, David? Count up the people and see how incredible you are. Now, you may look at this thing and say, was it really wrong to take a census? And the answer is, it was not wrong to take a census. What's wrong was the motive behind the census because motives matter to God. Taking a census isn't a bad thing. Moses actually took a census, but the motive behind Moses' census was entirely different. In fact, what Moses would do is he would take every man over the age of 20 and give them a half shekel. This was known as atonement money or ransom money. And what he was doing is saying this represents honor to our God, I want to count up and tally a total amount of those that God has rescued and redeemed from bondage. This represents giving glory to God because we're seeing how many people God actually set free. So with Moses, the census's goal was to give honor to God. With David, the goal was to bring honor to himself. And this was disgusting in the eyes of God. Let me slow down for a minute and tell you about my own struggle with this. Uh, for years, I think I lived under the illusion that pride was not a big issue for me. And people would ask me, hey, how do you not battle the pride and all this kind of stuff? And that's a relatively common question I'd get. And I'd always say, half jokingly, but mostly serious, well, I live with Amy, and she loves me and she honors me, but honestly, she's not crazy impressed with me. You know, she she helps me keep my feet on the ground. In fact, the only time she ever calls me pastor is immediately after I sinned. (laughs) Pastor. (laughs) Okay. She loves me, but I mean, I'm just, I'm a regular guy to her. And so I've lived under the illusion that I don't really battle with pride. Because honestly, in my world, uh, it's easy to become entitled as a pastor. You can start putting your picture everywhere and it can be all about you. And I chose not to do that. And I think I was proud of it. In other words, even though my face isn't everywhere and I don't outwardly live this entitled life, in my own mind, I think I was still the, the center of the dialogue because I'm so focused on me. And I had a, a thing happen. I'm preparing this message. And I was talking to this guy out of town, and we're, we just met. He's a real, real nice guy. He tells me what he does for a living, kind of has an impressive job. And he asked me what I do for a living. And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And he said, Oh. Well, my pastor's amazing. Maybe you've heard of him. He's one of the best pastors in America. Pastors from all over come to learn from him. He is incredible. He's written three different books and he has four campuses. Then the guy looked at me and said, maybe I need to slow down. You may not know what a campus is. There's this thing called multi-site where churches meet in multiple locations and my pastor has four of those. And then he looked at me and he said, so, honest to goodness, this is what he said. Amy was standing there, he said, "So." do you pastor a little church? (laughs) Pride, 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 pride. I said, well, actually I pastor a church. And then he said, well, maybe I could get you an appointment with my pastor because everybody wants to meet with him. He's absolutely amazing. He said, how long have you been at your little church? I said, well, my wife and I started our church about 22 years ago. And he said, wow. That's interesting, because, because usually when you're good at what you do, you're promoted to a bigger church. He said, don't get discouraged. Your time will come. God will raise you up. <laughs> does that matter at all. Not at all. But here I am, pride going, three old books, four little campuses, 14 books, 27 campuses with four coming. You know, and I, everything in me. Wanted, wanted to say, hey, 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 I'm important. Uh, you think your pastor's important? You don't know I'm important. Your pastor probably wants to meet with me, okay? <laughs> well, what is that? What is that? That's pride. That's pride. And Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. You see, my only role is to point people to Jesus. But when I am weak and vulnerable and full of sin, suddenly I want the glory just like David did. Let me tell you how big my church is. Let me tell you the people I counted up. It's the very same thing. And it is disgusting to God and it's heartbreaking to me that that's still an issue that I deal with in my life. This was David's issue. And others could see it too. This is what's so challenging about it. Some of you right now are going, oh, I'm so glad my husband's hearing this message. Oh, he needs it so much. I hope you just preach it, Craig, preach it, Craig. Smack him in the middle of the eyes, that prideful thing. Listen, lady. <laughs> it may be for you too, or vice versa. Okay, I'm not picking on gender, I'm picking on everybody. I'm an equal picker-on-or-opportunity person. Just if I haven't offended you yet, hang with me. I will get to you before our time is up. It's so difficult to see in the mirror. It's so difficult. It's easy to see in other people, but it's so difficult to see in yourselves. And Joab was a guy very loyal to David. He was the commander of the troops, and he saw it very clearly in David. This is what uh, 1 Chronicles 21 verse 6 and 7 says. Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering. In other words, I'm counting, but I'm leaving these two guys out. Why? Because the king's command was repulsive to him. I'm going to honor these people and keep them out of it. The command was also evil in the sight of God, so God punished Israel. And if you read through it, it's a heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin of pride. Which was worse, adultery or pride? Okay, well, adultery's pretty bad, but pride probably caused it. Mm, I'm the king of Israel, and I see that girl, mm-hmm, she looked good, mm, I want some of that. I deserve it, I'm the king. When David committed the sin of adultery, here's what he said to Nathan. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. But when he committed the sin of pride, he put an adjective before his sin and he didn't just say I've sinned against the Lord, but he said I've sinned greatly by doing this. I've sinned greatly by doing this. The deadly sin of pride. If you're taking notes, here's what I hope you'll understand. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. You may never be more vulnerable than you're full, when you're full of pride. Some of you, you're vulnerable right now because you don't know you're full of pride. Pride creeps up on us. Uzziah was a great man of the Old Testament. He did something pretty cool. He had this innovative war idea. And because of that, he rose in fame and power, and his pride took him out. This is what Scripture says. 2 Chronicles twenty-six sixteen. But after Uzziah became powerful, what happened? His pride led to his downfall. Pride can take you out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can lose you credibility in sharing your witness. Pride took him down. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. How do we see it in lives around us today? How does it manifest itself in ourselves? Well, I'm so holy. I would never do that. I mean, can you believe she carries herself like that? Can you believe he walks around acting so holy? I mean, I would never kind of sin like that. I mean, I know, I know God's word, and I, I am in, I'm in church every weekend, and I would never do that. In fact, we need to pray for him because I'm going to tell you what they're doing right now because they really need prayer. I'm not going to call it gossip. I'm going to call it prayer. I would never do that. I'm a self-made person. I mean, I've earned everything I've got. I've got a lot and it's because I've worked hard and I've earned it, I deserve it. It might manifest like this, well, I know I've probably got a problem, but I can't tell anybody about it because I've got to keep my my reputation up. And so I may have a problem, but I'm not going to talk to anybody else about it. It may manifest itself like this, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm the one doing everything here. It's not my fault anyway. Don't you tell me this marriage is my fault. It's your fault, it's not my fault. You don't don't tell me what my problem is. Pride, pride, pride. This is how many books I've written. This is how many campuses I have, pride. It's disgusting to God, and we may never be more vulnerable than when we're full of pride. How does God feel toward the proud? Let me show you how God feels. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us. This is what he says in chapter 4. He says, God opposes the proud. The Greek word translated as opposes, it's a military term to bring the full force of an army. In other words, if you stand and say, I deserve the glory that God deserves, God has every bit of power poised against you. God opposes the proud. But he shows favor to the humble, Then he says, submit yourself. And the Greek word translated as submit is another military term. It means to voluntarily rank under, to choose submission to the one who ranks higher. God, I fully submit to you. And this is what it says. Look at it again. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself, rank under, voluntarily submit to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you submit to God, you have the power of God. You have the presence of God. You have the strength of God. After you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. Devil, get away from me. You have no place here. You have no power here. Not today, not in my house, not in my family, not in my finances, not in the people that I love. You resist the devil, and then he will flee from you, not because you're strong, but because the power of God in you is stronger than the evil one. When you submit to God, you have the strength of God. You're able to resist the devil by the power of God and the devil will flee from you. Then he says this, come near to God and God will come near to you. What do you do? You don't elevate yourselves. You humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You humble yourselves before the Lord. When it comes to God and the evil one, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and and darkness when it comes to the power of good, when it comes to the forces of evil. There is no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You don't sort of follow Jesus. Scripture says that friendship with this world is hatred toward God. That's why we submit. We voluntarily rank under. Your word is our guide. Your spirit empowers us. Your will is what we want, God. We submit to you. Then submitted to God, we have the ability to resist the evil one and he will flee from us. We need to understand that you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Essentially, we are declaring our independence from God. I don't need you, God, I have got this. Humility is declaring our complete dependence on God. I need you moment by moment, I need you guiding me, I need you directing me, I need your word taking my steps upon your path. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me, speaking to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you for my next decision. I need you to help me know how to love this person when I don't know how to love. I need your strength when I'm weak. I need you every single moment. That is humility, and when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. There is no middle ground. It's all Jesus all Jesus, all Jesus, because he is everything. Why do you think God opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full forces of everything he has to oppose those who are proud? It's very likely because all the way back, even before the creation of the world, Lucifer, one that God loved, battled with the root sin of pride that ended up taking him down. If you missed a couple of weeks ago, We talked about the reality that we know God created at least. We have in in Scripture three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer was a beautiful angel, uh, worshiping God like a worship leader. But he became full of pride and wanted to be like God, and that's why God cast him down. What was his big weakness? He said again and again, I will, my will, I will my will. In Isaiah 14, five different times, he declared his sovereignty and his will. He said, I will ascend to the heavens, pride. He said, I will raise my throne above the stars, pride. He said, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, pride. He said, I will ascend to the top of the clouds, pride. He said, I will make myself like the most high, What was he? Lucifer was about himself. Jesus was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about my will. Jesus was all about thy will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was knowing what was ahead that he would give his life, suffer more brutally than words could describe and in agony as as drops of blood poured from his brow, he cried out to his father, Daddy, father, if there's any other way, may this cup of suffering be removed from me. Then, in submission to God, I voluntarily rank under you. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but thy will. Not my plan, God, but your plan. It's not about me, I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance, it's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity, it's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes, it's about your will. Not my will, but your will be done. Humility is not a weakness. When you are humble, you have the strength of God. You are never ever weaker than when you're full of pride. And you're never ever stronger than when you are humble before God. Because when you submit to God, he fills you with his presence. Then you have the power to say, I resist you. You evil one, you have no business here. Get behind me. Not in my house, not in my family. It's the power of Christ dwelling within me. We are in a spiritual battle. It's not if you're under attack. You are under attack. And how do we fight back? Listen, you have the armor of God. You have the helmet of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the shield of faith with which you quench the fiery darts of the evil one. You have the belt of truth, and the truth will set you free. You have the shoes prepared with the gospel, the readiness of peace, and you have one offensive weapon. What is it? It is called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is full of power. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh in the person of Jesus and dwelt among us. We fight with the word. We fight with the truth. We fight with the word. We fight with the truth. Whenever the devil attacks our pride, hey, you got it going on. You don't need anybody's help. You you can do it yourself. You're pretty important. I mean, look at you. You got the shoes, you got the purse, you got the house, you got the car, you got the name. Hey, don't let anybody else know what you're hurting. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do. Who are they? It's their problem, it's not your problem. You don't need anybody else. You don't even need church, man. You can just do this thing on your own. You don't need other people. It's all about you, man. You, they, they need to they need show more, more respect to you. You're the only one that gets it done here anyway. No, you draw your sword. I will, scripture, humble myself before the Lord and he will lift me up in due time. Because I am called by your name, I will humble myself and pray and seek your face and heaven will hear my prayers and you will forgive my sins and you will heal my land. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you alone are good your mercies endure forever. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and a weary land. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live because your mercies endure forever, not to us not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your goodness and faithfulness for generations, less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. Because of who you are, I voluntarily submit to your lordship. Why? Because you are king of kings. Because you are lord of lords. Because you are the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the soon returning, conquering king of kings who comes with a sword coming out of his mouth, declaring your word, because you are righteous, because you are true, because mortal man cannot look upon you in your purest essence and live, because you are my redeemer, because you are my savior, because you are my friend, because you are my rock, because you are my righteousness because you sent your son to do for me what I couldn't do for myself because he came to give me life and life more abundantly. And because the devil is a liar, the father of lies who comes to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus Christ is greater, he is powerful because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I submit to God, I resist the devil and he will we're in a spiritual battle. It's not like if you're in a battle or when you're in a battle, you are in a battle. And we don't have what it takes to win the battle on our own. That's why you're never stronger than when you're humble, when you're broken, when you're dependent on Him. Because when you are weak, that's when He's strong. Be weak today, be broken today. Be courageous enough to ask for help today. Call on his name. You don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You weren't designed to do it on your own. You were designed to need him and to need his people. Two or three gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst of us. We gather together to glorify him. He is our righteousness. He is our redeemer. You are never more vulnerable than when you are full. Of pride, And you are never, ever stronger than when you're broken before our God. So, Father, today we ask that by your power, you would do a work within us. God, that you would strengthen your church as we humble ourselves before you. At all of our different churches today, as you're reflecting in prayer, there are those of you who recognize, hey, Craig, just like you, I battle with pride. It may not be real obvious to me, but guess what? I'm kind of seeing it. It might be just pure-blown pride. I got this on my own. I don't need any help. I'm, I'm okay. I, I, I'm not going to listen to you. It could be more subtle, like kind of like mine. Hey, I'm not proud. I'm kind of proud of that, right? It might be a little inverse pride, but you're still the center of your dialogue. Jesus wants to be the center of your story. All of our churches today, those who say, yes, I want to be humble. Yes, I want to be broken before him. I want him to lift me up. I want to be strong because he is strong in me. At all of our churches, those who say that's my prayer today, would you lift your hands high right now? Just lift them up, lift them up. Father, thank you so much for a church full of people broken and dependent on you. We pray, oh God, that by your power, as we humble ourselves, you would lift us up. God, for those today that are very aware of a battle going on, I pray that they would voluntarily rank under you, God, that they would choose to submit to you. God, give them the strength by the power of Christ to resist the devil because greater is the one that is in them than the one that is in this world when they resist the devil. God, we thank you. He will flee. He has no power here. This is not his place. This place belongs to Jesus. God, give them the faith to say, no, not today. Get away from me, Satan, and he must move. God, in our weakness, would you be strong? As you keep praying today at all of our different churches, there are many of you, let me just call it like it is, there's a battle going on for you right now. There's a battle. Are you gonna be full in for Jesus? Or are you still gonna live for the things of this world? At all of our churches, some of you you recognize there's something significant at stake for you right now. There's a battle going on. What keeps you from fully following Jesus? For so many people, it is the sin of pride. Well, what are they gonna think? And what if I don't live up to it? And what if I say I'm going for Jesus and then I mess up? And, and what if I, how do I confess this? Well, I don't, I'm not sure what to do at all of our churches. There are those of you, you recognize that you have a need for his grace. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Everyone eyes open right now, head up, looking this way. All of our churches, campus pastors, we're doing an audible. There are those of you right now that you recognize you need the forgiveness of Jesus. You need his grace, who is he? He is the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. He died on a cross so that we could be made new. On the third day, when the stone was rolled away, He was not there, why? Because He's risen from the dead. He has risen so that anyone, and this includes you, who calls on His name would be saved. I'm gonna ask you to declare publicly, in front of God and everybody, your need for Jesus in all of our churches. There are those of you, you recognize you're not all in. You need His forgiveness, you need His grace. When you call on the name of Jesus, He'll forgive every sin you've ever committed. He'll make you completely brand new. That's why you're here today and you can sense it, but what are people gonna think? Let me tell you what Jesus said. If you confess me before my Father in heaven, I will confess you, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you do not confess me before people, Jesus said, I will not confess you before my Father. We are not ashamed of Jesus, we need him. We will follow him in front of God and everybody else. All of our churches, those who say, I need Jesus, I am a sinner today, and I need a savior. Lift your hands not right now, lift them up, lift them up right now. I need Christ, I need Jesus, I need Jesus. Oh my gosh, hands, up. leave them up. All over there. Right back here. Hands all over the place. Church online, you click before me. Church, would you cheer a little bit louder? Would you worship God for new life in Christ? We're not praying for revival. Listen, we're right in the middle of them. Others of you, you're leaning into it. You're holding back. At the count of three, go ahead and lift it up. One, two, three. I need Jesus. 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 Everybody pray. Everybody pray aloud. Pray, Heavenly Father, I surrender to You. I submit to You, to Your will, not my will. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me, and He rose again so I could live for You. Fill me with Your Spirit so I could follow You. Live for you, it's not about me. All about you, not about me. Help me to show your love, show your grace, and live for your glory. My life is not my own, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, somebody worship big, somebody worship loud. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to life.church slash next. You know, here at Life Church, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That statement drives everything we do as a church, all because we know and we believe whoever finds God, finds life.